0: to Season 5, Episode 5 of the Airways Podcast. My name is Rohan Anand. I am one of the co-founders and co-hosts of the podcast and joined by my usual co-hosts, Vinay Vascara and Helwing Villamissar. Today we have a really special episode with uh, cool guests on the podcast and I would really like to introduce Jens Kulent, who is the president of Gate Group. Gate Group is the parent company of Gate Gourmet and Jens oversees 30 kitchens in the united states and 10 in canada welcome jens thank you very much thanks for having me i really appreciate it absolutely and Vinay, say hello hello i am rohan's better half um, as
1: all of our listeners know and jens thank you so much for for joining us on the podcast today thank you humbled
0: to be here thank you and jens where are you joining us from
1: uh, I'm currently
2: sitting uh, effectively in my in my office or in our headquarter offices in in Reston, Virginia. Um, and that is uh, the anomaly, I would say, because I'm on the road a lot, as you can imagine. But uh, this week was was an office week. at my my regional management meeting here, and um, yeah, uh, and, and basically closed mm-hmm. by the
0: close the week by by this uh, conversation here, which I'm very much looking forward to. As are we. So, I have this fascination with catering, uh, in all sides. And obviously, I'm a big foodie myself. And when I was a little kid, I, I certainly, when I would fly, took a real interest in, in how the logistics of airline catering worked. And it's unfortunate that after 9 11, a lot of airline catering was reduced. And so, the kind of packaging and, and things that um, were involved in that process, uh, kind of took a little bit of a, a of the detour from the the way that it once was. And now things have changed a lot with buy on board and, of course, also with the way that things are streamlined and how uh, economies of scale work. But maybe taking a step back, uh, could you just give us a little bit of a high level or even if you want to go deeper summary of the gate group and what you all oversee and, and the kind of affiliated brands and revenue distributions? Sure, absolutely. And, and then, again, thanks for having me here.
2: So, so Geek Group um, is by far the largest airline caterer and the leading airline caterer in the world. We are essentially um, the only one that is that is providing services to every single bigger and smaller airline, be it on scheduled or chartered flights um, across the globe. Um, we are um, the largest airline caterer in, in the North America region, um, and um we basically do aviation services, so everything that is airline related, be it on the food, on the logistics, or on the handling side, as well as equipment uh, services. um so every every single equipment that you see in an aircraft, but also in some of uh, the grocery stores uh, or on um, uh, other restaurants, uh, fast food restaurants, you would uh, could could be originated by us. Um, we, if I zoom in from a, from a North America perspective, uh, we are serving out of 30 air- airports in this in this region, um, uh, 30 units in the United States, 10 units in Canada. Um, and um, yeah, it basically spread across uh, this huge uh, northern part of the continent here um, in most of the major airports. Um, as I said, we are essentially serving every single airline. Um, with every single service uh, they have on board, um, and that could be uh, the back of the the back of the bus um, uh, uh, economy seat, uh, all the way through the different classes to to first class. Essentially, um, that could be a domestic flight, that could be an international flight, that could be every direction it goes. It could be a United States or Canadian uh, carrier, and it could be every other carrier that comes into. Um, the United States or Canada. Um, there are some some other players, but I would I would generally say that uh, that they are more regionally, respectively, tactically operating. Where we are basically the only one that is globally operating and and really and truly a a a large every scale, every customer, every um, segment player. Where
0: the others are probably more playing in niches. I would say. Right, and I've done some YouTube video uh, watching of people doing tours of, of factories and kitchens in, in Dubai and I think that we underestimate as travelers you know as you know the foodies the consumers the people that complain about, you know, the sandwiches on, uh you know, an economy class flight or, you know, thinking that uh, there should be, you know, crispier French fries in the United Airlines uh, you know, first class serving. But but really the amount of work that is uh, taking place behind the scenes and the hours and, and days, weeks, months of preparation that it takes uh, going from, you know, a menu design, right, from like a, a buy on board menu uh, and, and what. Airlines may choose to include in that um, in that menu all the way to you know being plated in front of you uh in the aircraft. And uh, you know, we discussed the cups that you know might be used, right? If you know there's a star on the bottom of the cup, you're being served out of Dallas Fort Worth on American Airlines, right? Um and then of course food safety as well and 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 you know safety in the kitchens. So it's it's really neat to kind of have this opportunity to to speak with you because there's this magic that is involved, uh, you know, from end to end. Uh so tell us how how did you sort of find yourself in uh this industry and, and make your way into Gate Gourmet or Gate Group? Yeah, yeah look,
2: I mean, it was uh, uh more coincidental than targeted, I would say. So I'm I'm not a aviationist by trade. Uh I'm coming more out of the financial world, um, other the consulting, interim management, restructuring world, interestingly. Um, and I am in the industry um, for about uh, nine years now. Um, uh, started in our um, geek group headquarters in, um, in Zurich and then made my way over here to the year uh, to North America in 2017 um, in that current role um, for about a year and a half now. Um, and um, to your point, it's ex- extremely exciting. And you made, you made a good reference in the beginning. If, if we take two steps back, um, whatever, there's a, there's essentially an airline catering world, uh, that is divided by before and after 9 11 because the, the, the events of 9 11 have completely changed what you can and cannot do, um, in an aircraft or, uh, servicing an aircraft with food or any type of services. What a lot of people forget at, at the same time. Uh flying became more a commodity than a, a very special thing for people. So um that basically made, made it a more mass transportation and also also much more complicated to serve food the way that it that, that was served before 9 11 um to the scale of people that were flying across the across the continent. So um or the world um for all extensive purposes. So these two things together, meaning huge knives slicing um, uh, 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 beef uh, with chefs in the aircraft, huge galleys uh, and galley spaces that today are rather used to to provide seats to people. All of this has completely changed over this time and period. And um, it is indeed super exciting. If you look at the logistics that are coming all around this, you absolutely forget um, or cannot really imagine what's going on. I was a frequent traveler way before I, I came into the industry and then only really realized what 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 masterpiece of logistic this is. I mean, between all of the food safety elements, the airport and, and airline safety elements, um, the the work environment safe, uh, safety elements, um, and the precision and consistency that we have to provide on a day-to-day basis for multiple airlines out of multiple Units at the same time, more or less, is
0: uh, almost unprecedented. I would absolutely agree with that. Right. And I remember there was a time in which we had to take some sort of consciousness around airlines that needed to cut costs, right, after 9-11, and also Mm -hmm. safety measure discontinue serving meals with utensils, right? So Mm -hmm. things that had um, metal knives or, or steak knives, uh, especially, you know, even an economy class, and and now we're seeing it's much more common, even from a sustainability perspective, for airlines to use compostable, compostable uh, utensils um, and cups and and plasticware and what have you, and then also ovens on the planes. Uh, you know, ovens are heavy and they're expensive to maintain, and um, you know, heating up ovens, um, you know, heating up food in ovens, right? So. I, I know American Airlines, are a good example, on a lot of their 737s, they remove the ovens, uh, especially in economy class, and just retain the ones for first class. So that fundamentally shifts the the supply chain, and it, it shifts the uh, sort of the vision. And I, I imagine sort of the business model and the revenue streams for the suppliers like you all. Well, yes, it absolutely
2: did. Um, but it, it, there's still an element in there, Rohan, where um, you can be innovative and we are innovative, right? So, I mean, yes, there is a shift probably over this time period away from more like warm food to, cl- to colder or half cold um, type of food that doesn't necessarily need to be warmed up. Um, but you can still be very uh, creative and innovative around that. And, and you mentioned this before, um, this this is a a whole separate piece of of what we do also on a day to day basis, and that can be very targeted innovation for a specific customer, or um, which we also do very broadly, very generic um, uh, innovation. Of what can be served and what should be served on a go forward basis um, on thirty or forty thousand feet, on in the different. Uh, uh areas and and the different flight times and distances that we are serving certain customers in um and um the, 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 what's very interesting i mean we are essentially using all of the, the technology and the and the ways to get there so social listen social media listening um feedback loops complete like closed feedback loops between airline customers flight attendants um internal feedback loops in our units, between our units, basically making sure that that wherever we, we find something that can be improved or it works well, um, that basically is replicated and, and, and amplified,
0: if that makes sense. And can you give us some examples of some of those innovations that you have put into place?
2: Yeah. Look, I mean, uh, concrete. Uh, this is a very broad spectrum, Ron. So, I mean, but but what what we're generally looking for is is food that works well in the altitude, right? So, um, if you think about it, you lose um, uh, uh, sensitivity of your taste um, in in altitude. So you basically need to find a way to make the food still attractive for somebody to eat up there, right? So, still have it. A, a premium restaurant class um, uh, experience, but particularly and very, very particularly for the front of the cabin, uh, first class, business class, even premium economy. I mean, you, you, you've seen it, um, uh, that that the, the airlines these days are very much focusing on their premium customer, on their loyalty program, high tier customers. And these customers have expectations between the lounge expectation or an experience they have um, in the airports, um, that we're, by the way, also uh, having a part in. Um, and then then an extension of that, when they get to the aircraft and particularly on a long-haul flight transatlantic um, or transcontinental here in the United States or Canada, um, it, is, it is very important that that customer basically has a, re- uh, a affirmation of that value brand of that particular airline that, that he or she prefers um, and that, that that is then uh, fully followed through by the caterer that um, innovates, that, that, that shows and, and designs the food in a particular um, on a particular flight, for a particular route, um, and uh, for a particular class ultimately. So it's difficult to speak about very specific innovation, but I mean to, in very simple terms, um, getting away when it comes uh, to um, seasoning from salt and pepper only to more um, intuitive and also healthier choices, um, certain herbs, um, certain ways, not not too heavy food um, that, that, that is also not very digestible in, 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 in altitude, um, and uh, but also food that um, presents well and preserves well um, because there's a certain time distance
0: between when it's prepared and when it's consumed. For sure. When I hear about myth of, or it could be fact of, your taste buds in uh, <laughs> altitudes, I've always kind of uh, tossed and turned over whether is that actually true or not, because there are definitely products, right, that we consume in the uh, in the sky that are certainly made in kitchens and you know are cooked and prepared and what have you. But then there could also be accompaniments, right, like a, a wedge of cheese or crackers or or chips or some other uh, package brand, right, that we would normally get on the ground. Uh, and then there's also airlines that may serve uh, or a buy-on-board product, right, that uh, could contain products that you would find in your local supermarket. Uh, I know like Alaska Airlines and, and JetBlue, for example, do... Uh, or go uh, the extra mile to ensure that they're using local suppliers and and they're using uh, ingredients from East Coast or West Coast, New York or uh, Seattle-based uh, provisions, if if you will. Uh, so, is am, am I correct? And is this is a myth or fact, or is it a little bit of both about the taste buds in the altitude? So it's definitely not a meth. I can basically wipe that out. I, I, wasn't, I was the same way in the very beginning. I go like, oh,
2: well, this is not real. No, this is scientific. I mean, you really lose um, taste um, in in altitude. And, and you have to, to balance this out. I mean, a co- very concrete example you've all heard about this is this like over-average consum- consume consumption of uh, of tomato juice in in altitude. And that is one, because it's very tasty and very intense. Um, but also it has a higher, um, salt, uh, uh, piece to it. And and therefore it, it, um, it's more appealing to order it in altitude. Um, but, um, again, we are, um, in a cycle, in a, in a repetitive cycle to find ways of making this food most attractive from a presentation, but particularly also from a taste perspective. Um, because, what if you if you really uh, seasoned a a meal uh, the same way um, on on the ground as you do it if in the altitude, you will basically uh, realize that it is not it tastes different. It it has a different season seasoning pattern.
0: And one thing I'm noticing too is that airlines have, as you mentioned in the innovation space, airlines have become pretty adept at being able to expand menu offerings in, let's say, the premium cabin with uh, mm-hmm. using apps and using uh, artificial intelligence and using automation and, and also with an effort to reduce waste. For example, I think that United and Alaska, when a customer is flying first class and let's say they either bought upgrades uh, or they were upgraded more than 24 hours in advance. Um, they have, instead of you know two to three options of choosing their meal, they may have an assortment of anywhere from five to seven. It just so happens that of those five to seven options, four of them won't be offered in flight, uh, but they can be preloaded because uh, the kitchens can make sure that they uh, prepare those in advance. So Instead of just having the usual pancakes and omelet as a choice, they can uh, choose between cold cuts and with, uh, you know, French toasts and, and other things. Uh, and so is that something that um, your team assists with in terms of being able to not only offer that expanded menu offering, but also being able to allow that to be done in a, in a scaled fashion and, and, like I said, help with reducing waste? absolutely uh rod it's, it's core and center to our
2: to our business um uh, this in particular um you're referencing pre-order systems um we we are we are uh, on the forefront of co-developing that um we used to have an a technology arm that we are now uh, partnering with with a um a separate technology partner called infly um that is working on these on these areas but then from an execution perspective um, we have to be on our toes uh, when these changes come into play, for example, and um, how to execute against these, right? So, and then uh, clearly um, waste reduction uh, is a core element, not only since um, ESG um, came into play, but has always been um, a, a real um, a piece in the world of, of airlines and airline catering. One, because um whatever you have to transport will create weight as you said earlier already and uh the weight basically consumes kerosene and 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 that is uh uh, not good for the environment as as for the pnl of an airline so uh, there's a an optimization element in that and then on top of all of that whatever you don't consume um is is also bad because you have to to throw it away again environmental um, uh, good corporate and world citizenship, uh, arguments and, uh, and cost arguments for, for the airlines as well. Because, um, as much as uh, we would want to redistribute, distribute what comes back out of the air to someone else, um, we either can't do it because it needs to be thrown away. Uh, one, because, uh, it, it, there's a, there's CBP requirements around that, or, um, there is temperature requirements that, that this cannot be, uh, dealt safely with. Uh, uh, from from a from a third party or thereafter perspective, so yes, absolutely. Um, with our the, the the variety of experience that we have on certain routes on certain aircrafts, I mean data patterns. Um, this is a very very data heavy and data centric um, industry. Um, we ha- we rely heavily on data, and uh, this is this is one big element where. We absolutely exploit these data and optimize loads, optimize times um, of processing, how to produce what food at what point in time, um, how many counts of a certain meal, um, and how that is loaded and when it's loaded. Um, Absolutely, that's a core element of oil distance.
1: It it probably goes even further, right? Like, I would imagine that you probably also use that to govern how you set up your supply chain, how you work with your suppliers, maybe even who you choose to supply from based on the kind of demand that you're seeing, um, for like particular types of meals or, or, or volume of meals in, in a given airport. Right. That That is absolutely correct. Uh, I mean, I, so, um, we have to,
2: um, I mean, you made the, uh, Ron, I think you referred to, um, uh, local sourcing, uh, elements or certain brand sourcing elements of certain airlines before, um, you have to bring this into the equation, right? So you, you have to know, what you can get out of which distribution centers at what point in time uh, what can you serve somewhere because like a certain say beer or um, a certain um uh, say a beer or a a beverage out of a certain market that flies into a, a market on the other side of this huge country might not be recognized and or wanted on the other side so so then you basically end up with with certain elements of that and, and, and loads of that on the other side and, and what will you do with it? So this is always the up and the downside of, of local sourcing, but we have to um, absolutely manage that supply chain. And another great example is, um, say, uh, take um, white asparagus. I mean, um, I'm coming out of, a, out of a country and out of a particular uh, area of, of that country in Germany where white asparagus is, is a huge thing. But uh, last time I checked, it's only available in a certain time frame in the year, which is usually May, June. And if you have white asparagus uh, on the menu and think that it's going to fly throughout the year, then you are horribly mistaken. So you have to make choices when it comes to all of the um, services and all of the elements of food and beverage that you serve um, so that you are basically serving it at the right time
0: of the year and at the the right location. And what about special meals like we have seen, for example, you have elements of lactose intolerant all the way till children's meals. I even recently read a trip report for someone that was flying in business class on British Airways on a long haul flight. And they mentioned that the child meal, the appetizer alone would have sufficed for uh, for for the child and, and then you have, obviously, like religious sensitivity meals. You have people with allergies. You have the other examples of when maybe someone uh, is chartering a flight, as you mentioned, going to Hajj or Umrah, where you want to ensure that their, you know, meals are halal or in another example, kosher. Uh, and so with that, I mean, there must be a lot of separate or, or even more niche work that you have to do to cater to those tastes. 100% a So, I
2: mean, you're touching on all of it, right? So it's a highly regulated market. So when you walk into one of or any of our warehouses, all of the ingredients are separated. So if we don't do that and if we don't show that to the regulators and the airlines, then, um, that is something of concern, clearly. So because you're, you can't cross contaminate ingredients and then, when it comes to the production, particularly the hot production, but also even even cold production areas, if we do this for our lock area, we we have separate rooms, uh, isolated rooms, certain certain uh, other restrictions of, of of screening and scanning. Um, uh, you mentioned uh, special meals. Uh, absolutely, we have separate areas in our units where we're producing these special meals only um and um are loading them to through the counts that usually they are pre-ordered um so that makes it on this end a little bit easier um but um but yes absolutely i mean this is a high complexity of of getting everything right um as per the the galley diagrams um uh, so that that it's in the right place on each and every of these trolleys and in the right amounts there yep
1: and And how do you think about um, what I would call like uneven demand for special meals? And'm I'm, I'm really thinking in particular of like the halal or kosher meal requirement, where there's a specific um, sort of like religious requirement. or vegetarians a little bit broader, right? You can kind of find you know supply, produce, meat for vegetarian, I guess not meat, but like supply and produce for for vegetarian meals kind of anywhere. when it comes to something like like uh, a halal meal or a kosher meal meal, there's a very specific supply chain that exists for that type of meat, right? And so, you know, it, with your Detroit operation, right? There's probably dozens of halal meat suppliers in the Detroit area that you can kind of lean on. But if you look at somewhere like Memphis, Tennessee, or some of your other operations where there's not as large of a of a Muslim community and thus a, a halal supply chain, I'm cu- I'm curious how you think about those types of of scenarios where you get a, a you know, a halal meal request out of um, Memphis, like, h- how do you actually like surface something like that? Yeah, look, I mean, I mean, it's it's a good point. Uh, I mean, I
2: but but like, I mean, the 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 short answer to this is we are the supply chain expert, the absolute supply chain expert in this in this in this area. Um, we have category managers doing nothing else than sorting out what product for for which specific product, be it halal or non halal, be it um, certain pieces of it or not, can be sourced, where can it be sourced. Um, and how do we make sure that it's basically going on a rotation um, into the units where we need it? Um, it's, it's partially sometimes, this is the, the simple answer to it, but it's, it's also more complicated, right? Because you, you basically, when you, when you look into the production side, you have to separate all of the hot cooking and hot kitchen areas into two separate areas. You have to, um, the huge dishwashers that we are using, we either have, if we have enough materiality, we have a separate dishwasher, that does nothing else than halal uh, washing of of equipment or when we basically have done if you want the western part of it we have we run a cleaning cycle over these over these uh, dish machines and then run the halal um uh, uh washing after that so i mean there's there's a huge uh uh logistic uh, uh science behind that um and again we we are the largest in the world and and we have we are per- per- permanently um, optimizing it, um, but we are basically perfectionizing it also on a daily basis.
1: I mean, I, I think it's fascinating the degree to which this this sort of part of the airline industry that I think a lot of passengers take for granted. Right? Hey, I'm a you know I'm a person of faith, and I want you know I want a special meal that um, uh, you know conforms with with my faith. Um, mm-hmm. There's this, there's like a huge, sophisticated operation with a lot of like strategy and. Um, precision behind it that I think passengers don't always like think that hard about. So I think that that's definitely you know um, worth calling out the, the the level of of care that you that you all put into this.
2: Yeah, and and there's a, to your point. I mean, there's there's a certain leap of faith, of course, that that passengers take, but there's also massive audit programs that are underlying these efforts, right? So third parties come into our unit on a regular basis to uh, auditing that what we what we say we do, we do right airlines are coming in and auditing against what we say we do we do right spec uh, uh, audits um safety food safety audits security audits all of this uh, we have units where we probably have 20 30 40 audits a month almost on a daily basis but sometimes multiple audits a day that happening so this is a permanent audit environment um that makes sure that that again we stand up for what what we say we do.
3: Get ready to embark on an exhilarating journey with the March 2024 issue of Airways magazine. In this edition, join Joshua Chepesky as he takes us through the remarkable transformation of Denver International Airport, from its rocky beginnings to becoming the third busiest airport in the world. Discover how this airport is renovating and expanding for an even brighter future. Enrique Carella invites us to experience something truly unique with the return of the Boeing factory tours. Get an up-close and personal look at the inner workings of one of the world's leading aircraft manufacturers. Stuart Marshall shines a spotlight on Seven Air, the airline that plays a vital role in connecting Portugal's picturesque landscapes by fulfilling the country's public service obligations. Explore how this airline keeps small cities connected with essential air travel. Simone Collini brings us an exclusive interview with Fly Dubai's CEO, who unveils the airline's exciting plans to become an even bigger player in the Middle East air scene. Discover the vision and ambition driving Fly Dubai's future. Take a nostalgic trip back in time with David H. Stringer as he explores vintage airline timetables. These historical treasures offer a glimpse into the golden age of aviation, allowing you to feel the personality and charm of airlines from yesteryears. Don't miss David H. Stringer's incredible collection of several thousand historical timetables. As Airways history editor, he shares his passion for these colorful and innovative windows into aviation's past immerse yourself in the rich heritage of airlines and feel the nostalgia coming come alive. Get your copy of the March 2024 issue of Airways at your nearest Barnes & Noble and at airwaysbag.com slash shop and indulge in these captivating stories that celebrate the wonder and evolution of the aviation industry.
1: So um, I want to actually go in a slightly different direction and get your perspective on the What's some of the biggest things that have changed for for your business and for your space um, over the last, you know, three, four years since the start of, of COVID? I mean, I'm curious to hear kind of, obviously, there's been a, a lot of coverage of what has happened on the airline side, but I'm sure yeah. that um, you have not been inured from those impacts.
2: Yeah, of course not. Um, so, you know, I mean, we were at the back end of this, right? So basically, from one day to the other, if I, base, if I go almost four years back now, believe it or not... Um, our business stopped from close to a hundred percent and and mind you 2019 coming into 2020 we were at the at the height of airline travel and um airline ser- catering services post 9-11 so we basically went from 95 to zero or from 95 to five as i always say this from march 13 to march 14 right so it was only rescue flights thereafter Everything was grounded. Um, we had to uh, rationalize everything. We had to furlough people for an extended period of time. Um, we went from ten thousand, twelve thousand, ten thousand hourly workers to probably in the in the lowest part of it, like a thousand uh, or so, or even less. So it was it was a massive impact on us um, and at the the service levels. Um, only gradually came back after right basically it was shut down essentially completely um, because also the airlines uh, as you are well aware um, wanted to avoid contact between um, their um, flight attendants and crew and and the passenger uh, for the passengers that were flying at all Um, then uh, in the next step it was essentially packaged solutions so type of a plastic bag that had a, a bottle of water and, a, and two or three snacks in that that were either handed out on your way into the aircraft or um, uh, walking through the galley by the, by the time that that was allowed again for so the flight attendants. Um, and then it came back at a certain point in time um, that that hot food was was reintroduced um, into the units or it was sandwiches before, then hot food. So there's a gradually recovery of that um but also a sort of a change to what it was in 2019 i would i would go as far as that we are not fully back to particularly the hot food sophistication and and uh, varieties that that we had in 2019 we're getting close to that um and airlines realize that they're competing with each other and that um uh, passengers are making choices also based on the quality of the food um, and with more and more international carriers, particularly on international routes, coming into North America, um, they basically have choices, right? So they can say, well, if I go to Dubai, I fly with a, with a hub carrier there instead of a, uh, a US or a North American carrier, right? And, um, and therefore, they're also competing with each other. They are looking, what, what, do, what do the others do? And uh, menu development innovation and, and constant menu design um, that would provide for
1: essentially every bigger airline um, is, is absolute key and core. Gotcha. Yeah. And, and do you feel like, um, you know, obviously, you know, in the immediate kind of post-pandemic recovery period, a lot of businesses that have sort of complex production, oper- production operations and complex supply chains um, saw a lot of brittleness in um, some of those factors, right? Whether it's staffing challenges, whether it's supply chain challenges, whether it's the cost of of distribution and of moving goods and, and and stuff like that, I'm curious to to what extent you've seen some of those challenges start to dissipate on the on the sort of supply and operation side, and to what extent they kind of still remain um, sort of really material and kind of core to to your day to day operations
2: yeah we have seen nothing of that, and I'm just kidding. So no, I mean, uh, we have uh, we have of course been absolutely f- uh, hammered with with the with the impacts of these. Um, uh, it was very, very challenging, um particularly when the flying in in the United States for starters because that's when it came back very quickly, very heavily. um someone in twenty twenty one. Um, It was very challenging to um, recruit people back that we had to let go at that point in time. Um, But there was also, uh, there's a a change in in how people want to work these days um, and and that we have to add to it up to. It was also a lot of management that we lost and, and, and are still trying to recruit back and train back. So, um it, it is the, the supply chain issues that you mentioned with the um, global um, um, issues um, that are out there are um, um, also not to be underestimated, be it certain products, equipment that you're looking for that is produced on the other side of the world that might not be that easy to get into anymore, um, uh, container ships that are not, not going as frequent as they were Um there's a lot of challenges um, and have been a lot of challenges. It has, it has relieved a little bit and it has been becoming better a little bit. The supply chain has adjusted. And the labor market has relieved. But um, by and large, we're still not back to um, the 2019 and before levels. Um, we see people that are changing jobs even quicker than they, they used to uh, in our environment at that point in time. And um, another very interesting aspect that is very important for us is uh, we, are, we have a very diverse workforce and, and we usually um, recruit a lot of immigrants, relatively new immigrants to the country. Um, and uh, the whole immigration process basically was shut down also for, um, for COVID and, and safety reasons at a certain point in time. So we're essentially missing a couple of years of immigration um, and therefore, potential um, uh, workforce um, in our um, in our industry, um, and and all of that makes it very challenging um, to the levels of staffing today. Attrition levels and retention levels are getting better, but I would uh, I would hope that that this is continually becoming better because because that will help us execute also more 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 consistently than we do today. Already.
1: Yeah, I mean I I think uh, unfortunately that's a that's a common story, not unfortunately, but that that is a common story across yep. companies that have your style of operation um and, and across the aviation industry more broadly. But it does kind of seem like, th- like things are starting to there there's a slow but steady positive trend is, is kind of the way i would describe I would describe um what we're seeing.
0: Yep, I would agree with that. And I think that we wouldn't say now four years after the pandemic started. There was never going to be a swift return to normal. In fact, it was going to be an adjustment to a new normal uh, and having to kind of contend with the shocks of the aftermath, whether it be supply chain, labor, costs, tastes, patterns in demand, and and so forth. And also some of the innovations in technology and, and digital capabilities and automation that took place. Uh, you know, when the world is in a shutdown mode, where companies had to either adapt or die in terms of being able to get information across in a digital manner, to as you mentioned, Jens, minimize contact, and so that also went to cabin crews, and and cabin crew individuals are are the ultimate deliverers of the product, right? Uh, you know, if 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 you were to say, I, I don't like to use the word, um, you know, glorified. Um, you know uh servers or 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 uh staffs in the sky you know serving a meal, but they are the ones that you know if they want to provide the white glove service or or wear the mask, you know putting down the tray uh in front of the the customer or you know filling up the uh cup and 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 providing it to each individual and so with that said uh how do you also take in? feedback that you receive from, from cabin crews or from, um, you know, people that might even be doing the catering on the ground, right? Uh, I assume that a lot of the data that comes back, whether it's anecdotal or whether it's numerical, uh, there's, there's a fair amount that you have to incorporate based upon uh, like, you know, the white asparagus, as you mentioned, you know, if they're only available for two months out of the year or uh, the, the person with the, with the allergy, for example.
2: Yeah. No, look, I mean it's 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 absolutely true and fair. I mean, as I said before, I mean it's a permanent feedback loop between our operations but also with the customer. We are usually measured on on these feedbacks. Um if, uh, if there's a certain amount of of legitimate flight attendant comments, then then we 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 are on service level agreements that we are measured against. Um so it's in our utmost interest to keep these um flight attendant comments down but also to use whatever you hear positive or negative to basically turn that into embrace it and turn that into an improved process and into improved service into a change of a certain ingredient or product, um, into a certain different processes or, um, uh, also, um, what instructions how to reheat certain, certain elements. So, I mean, we, we found us in a situation a couple of months ago where there was a product that didn't reheat very well. So we basically had to change the ingredients a little bit. And so it watered down, um, a certain, a certain meal. So we basically, um, changed the ingredients, uh, very quickly and, 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 presented a very similar meal, but then it didn't have, um, the presentation and then also food quality. Um, taste uh, issue that it was created with it so you have to be very quick on your feet um, and uh, embrace this feedback and and take qualitatively analyze it
1: and and turn it into um, an improvement of your service ultimately and I think the interesting thing about that is that I would imagine that there's a there's a component of art and there's a component of science to that right mm-hmm. the, the science is you're measuring quantitative feedback you're measuring hey do we hit this SLA but um, the the Qualitative aspect, I think, is is probably where a lot of the innovation happens on your team side, which is like all right, we're getting back this sort of corpus of feedback from airlines, passengers, flight attendants. What is like the the right solution? Is it is something that's incremental, like what you just described? Is it something that's more 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 radical? Is it changing, like you know, in, working with the airline to change the, the offering on this particular route or in this particular season? So I would imagine that that it's like there's actually some some interesting um, dynamics there for how much you weight, you know, qualitative. Um, sort of anecdotal feedback versus some of the quantitative metrics that you see yeah it's absolutely true and and look and and it is indeed art and science but
2: you you want to you want to look for a certain pattern of course if you don't find that pattern if you find that pattern you basically try to find a unilateral solution and how do you to you design the food in a different way than you did before if you don't find an, a broader a, a, a multilateral pattern, but more a specific anecdotal pattern, it might be related to the catering unit, but it might also be related in, uh, in the way that it's, it's basically being presented and or heated or in, in, in the aircraft, right? Because the, the moment that we hand off the food to the crew, there is a certain element that is not controllable by us anymore. Right, so there's, there's there's certain eating and presentation instructions. If they are not followed in full, then then you can do the best job you you can uh, on the ground and delivering it to the aircraft. Um, it's basically not on your hands anymore. So there's a lot of elements that come to a perfect meal experience in the air. Um, uh, but uh, yes, absolutely, uh, you look at all of the elements and you make sure that between the science and the art piece. We we, we get to the best, uh, uh, we put the best foot forward every single day. And I can tell you, I mean, we are, as I said before, we are by far the largest airline caterer in the world. We have a chef community of, of, of 2,000 chefs globally uh, of different cuisines, different backgrounds, hotel experience, Michelin star experience, uh, restaurant experiences. Um, it's amazing. And you you would be surprised how much expertise you can draw out of out of these to um, uh, basically improve your service on a day-to-day basis globally.
0: I'm a big fan of uh, buy on board, believe it or not. Or even if you fly the KLM, for example, I think you can pay an extra 12 to $15 for an enhanced meal. Um, I, I don't believe that uh, airlines uh, should ignore the customers in the back, right? for extra ancillary opportunities. And I do know that the airlines that have done you know gone have gone the extra mile like Porter or JetBlue and, and once they launched you know a meal services by doing it in an enhanced way, it, it really does enhance their their brand recognition and their uh, their their product placement in terms of being able to uh, present something that's just more than chicken or pasta. Uh, to be able to do what the JetBlue model, uh, or even Delta for that matter, uh, allows, which is kind of a bistro style where while you're actually being delivered the meal and economy, you can mix and match uh, what your main plate dish might be along with like the side accompaniments. And then airlines will then do a separate dessert service after. So it really presents kind of a nice um, flow uh, on a long-haul flight as opposed to just kind of Putting everything on one little tray with you know just one standardization and assuming everyone will be forced to eat it and enjoy it. Yeah, absolutely. And and you made you mentioned
2: uh, a couple of airlines that have definitely di- differentiated themselves um, by by making these choices. And, and you were talking about um, retail abroad programs. I'm a, I'm a big fan of retail abroad programs as well. I believe we absolutely run the best. Um, retail and board programs globally but particularly also in this company in this country here um, and um, a successful buy on board program not only enhances the value um, of your most appreciated customers so you, your value customers your loyalty program customers but also gives you choices we're coming back to the pre-order discussion and conversation we had earlier um, in in this um, in this uh, conversation here um, where to your point, you are able to you basically buy a seat um, in the back part of, of, the, of the aircraft, but you're able to choose certain meal services out of business or first class. Um, I think that's that's a very smart choice um, and uh, enhances your and basically further diversifies your profile as an airline. Um, and again, we are, we are basically happy and able to serve all of these. Um, we, are, we have been in the forefront of designing um, these different uh, meal classes and food classes um, when, uh, when the airline started diversifying the cabin um, uh, even further. And uh, we are basically the ones that make sure that you see a difference and have a difference between an economy meal, a premium economy meal, a business meal, business class meal, and a first class meal.
1: Absolutely, yeah. and, and I think that's a great call out, specifically the, 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 the extra sort of point of, of leverage that you get from having a buy-on-board program because it provides another way of giving differentiation to your frequent flyers, especially in the U.S. as sort of like the traditional unit of value, which I think of as like the sort of domestic or short-haul flight upgrade has started to dissipate One of the things, I'm a United sort of 1K passenger, right? And one of the things that that United does that I appreciate is they have their standard buy-on-board program, which on shorter flights is is sort of snack boxes. On longer flights, it's um, a hot meal. And I get that for free as a United 1K passenger, even if I'm sitting in economy class. So it is really interesting the ways in which it allows you to not only generate extra revenue, but also
0: um, support your frequent buyer program. Yeah, as someone that... Uh, I, I'm very partial to United's uh, buy on board program because not only are the options always changing and they're quite good, you know, I'm a huge fan of that Tapas box, but also, you know, for the customers that have the credit cards, uh, loyalty is so embedded now in the customer journey, both before and after they book their flight to, you know, everyday purchases And so for a customer to be able to get 25% off buy-on-board purchases using their airline co-branded credit card, that's huge. That's significant, especially for families traveling together, perhaps passengers on a long-haul flight to, let's say, Hawaii, right? Where, you know, they are wanting to have a meal for that eight-hour leg, but it's considered a domestic flight, so airlines might not provide a hot meal on on certain routes right they're select markets and with that being said the price points are also really reasonable airport concessions these days are not cheap even a mcdonald's or a wendy's and, and man if you go to new york LaGuardia, the new airport is beautiful i tell you but i I, I, I have a very hard time justifying going to I, I can't even think of a couple of the retailers, but it might be something like a a burrito beach and having to spend twenty dollars on a burrito. Uh, you know, I'm I'm grateful that I I have Sky Club access uh through Delta and that I have MX and, and Chase Sapphire lounge access so I can, you know, reasonably show up on time and be able to have a decent meal, uh, because also, too, even if you're only flying, let's say, from New York to Chicago, um, I find that the point in which I leave uh, downtown Manhattan to the point in which I get back to my apartment in the city of Chicago can take minimum of six hours. That's a long time to, yeah. to go without eating, and if it's an early morning flight or a, a late evening flight or it's in the middle of the day and I'm doing work calls in between um, you know, I, I need to eat. Right. Um, you know, I, I go to the gym a lot and I, I try to make sure that I'm eating throughout the day to, you know, continuously have my consumption of calories. And so for for me, like, you know, this is where the airlines, uh, I, I think, uh, you know, have, have capitalized on that opportunity and are also still willing to innovate and create, you know, more opportunities to to retail from that. And, and provide satisfaction for me, the consumer, on the other side. Absolutely. And, I mean,
2: you mentioned a, it sounded like a single-handed logistical challenge. I mean, I'm, I'm a father of four. I can tell you when we travel as a, with a family of six total, um, yes, it might be an option to buy some food in the concessionaries, but then basically getting that relatively safe to your seat, let alone eating it there, um, is 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 really a challenge so i mean having choices in flight is in my view an absolute differentiating factor for for an airline and um and again we i i truly and honestly believe because i know which w- w- that we are great in that and have seen the programs we that we have uh, stood up for multiple airlines globally and in this part of the world um that that we can do great things and, and, and on the on the retail and board side and I'm an absolute
1: fan of these. So, changing gears a little bit, you know, you you mentioned this this network of chefs that um, that you rely on for for input for cooking techniques. You know, t- take your pick, right? I'm sure I'm sure they play a big role in in what you do. And, and one thing I'm curious about is, you know, you ha- you have all different types of chefs, all different types of cuisines, and some of these are you know Michelin star chefs, right? Who work at some of the best restaurants, um, uh, you know, in the world. I'm curious what perspective they bring and and they tend to have. On the challenge of airline catering and on the challenge of making food that tastes really good, you know, in the sky.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, you, you're making you're making very valid points. here. So, but see, the, the way you have to think about this also, I mean, the challenge that they have in flight is very different, but also very similar sometimes to uh, cooking in a in a Michelin star restaurant. I mean, the way, if you have to think about it, like an in, international long haul flight is almost like a two to three. Uh, time seating of a, of a, a good restaurant of an evening. So it's, it's not so dissimilar. So you have to provide the food. You have to pre prepare food. Um, you have to cook food for an audience that is usually very, very high class and high premium has a high expectation on what comes in there when it, when it comes to business class and first class customers. Um, they pay thousands of dollars for, for a ticket. So you can imagine how high the expectations are and that's the challenge that they face they bring then when when it comes to what can they transform from the ground to the air they're bringing in certain elements they're bringing in even certain um uh, signature dishes we're working with uh, in many parts of the world we're working with um very very uh, prominent restaurants and chefs and um, and sometimes the airlines work with them and bring them in and they come in our kitchens and units um, and create signature dishes that we then recreate um, for a cycle of a month or three months, depending on certain routes um, and, uh, uh, and, and basically, therefore, um, uh, help support their brand name but also differentiate and create a little bit of a, of a home ceiling for the passenger that flies out of a certain market or a certain, out of a certain country, out of a certain city um and says yeah i know that i know that dish or i know that brand i know this chef uh, who created that dish which will also then be presented in um in the menu um, display um that they have so yes a massive massive component and to your point we even have uh, uh, chefs that are michelin or we used to be michelin star chefs because if you don't run a restaurant you can you can't obtain it or retain them but they they used to run them or um have worked in in environments like these um, so it's a it's a highly qualified um, chef environment and chef community that we are we are working with, um, and that is very uh, important because otherwise you cannot recreate that high quality food and dish that the the premium customer expects.
0: So I'm excited, uh, assuming everything goes well, because in a week I'm going to be flying uh, Japan Airlines and on the pond uh both long haul internationally uh through tokyo to get to to new delhi india from chicago and i've <laughs> I'm, I'm such a <laughs> i mean i'm such a cliche i've already been looking at the menus online in in business class that they offer you should. i know do <laughs> yeah and they do the western meals and then they do the 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 japanese meals and uh you know the the j menu it it's just, it looks like an entirely different culinary journey, right? Where, and, and, and Japan Airlines, I've flown on the pond in economy. They're so cute. Cause they're like, they, they come through and they actually have pictures of the meals and they basically just show you and you just point to whichever one looks good. Um, and in the case, I think of these digital menus that they have, they show little boxes and little squares about like, you know, what individual dish you'll receive. Generally, I think that um you know the the japanese meal for example will come with a lot of different acc- accoutrements and uh so you know there's that experience and then when i am in india internally you know i fly some of the low cost carriers like spicejet or indigo and you will see that there is a massive array of menu items that are so core to airlines like indigo and even air asia just like the, the the experiences that they have where they even now will start selling the meals in grocery stores because they're so popular right um mm-hmm. and then you have like Vistara which I'm flying which um still offers a uh, a a a a hot meal in all cabins on short haul flights so mm-hmm. when you when you leave the US soil you also get to kind of experience this other uh side of the culinary uh journey with other cultures uh in 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 the asia pacific region in particular
2: yeah look absolutely and, and you i mean i said this uh before you should be excited for for these trips you should be very excited and um um experimental also to 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 see how different airlines are um choosing to do their service in the air and to your point it's it's core to the japanese culture and um in this particular case to the airlines that you mentioned um, uh, to do services the way they do, and to to be high class. I mean, their um, their 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 attention to detail is is high, and and our attention to detail needs to be even higher to that because um, the scrutiny that they basically put on the quality of of the service and the quality of the meal, particularly when it comes to business and first class meals, is unprecedented almost. Yeah, so
0: um, it's. Um,
2: It's going to be a, it's going to be an interesting journey for you. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And, and I, I like to tease my family because growing up, my, my parents always made fun of me for taking such a great interest in these things. And as I got older and as you know, I, I became embedded in the internet, discovering sites like airliners.net where they do trip reports or flyer talk or bloggers here and, you know, people that do reviews and you see people now, like just general people taking pictures of their food on planes and posting them onto Facebook. And now when my parents fly, they totally take pictures of of the meals that they get served on Air India or Qatar Airways and, and send it to the family group text thread. And, you know, they'll provide their own little foodie thing. So I, I think it's, it's this wonderful journey we can all go on. I mean, food connects cultures and connects people. And um, it's been so neat hearing, uh, Jens, your perspective on this because, you know, we can get really deep uh, and dirty with things like data and innovation and uh, the business element of it too. Um, but there's also this this beautiful cultural uh, element as well and how it connects us. And so, um, yeah, this, is, this has been super fun to do.
2: Yeah, look, absolutely. I mean, we always say um, our mission is uh, to amplify the heart and soul of our airline customers through the power of culinary experiences. And I think you basically describe it with very very well right i mean uh, food and food experiences um, connect people globally and um and that that can be in an aircraft and that can be on the ground and that can be at any uh, shade of gray in between but but food is a is a massive cultural and social element um that uh, that we take a lot of pride in uh, to execute against on all levels of of uh, of perfection on a daily basis
1: yeah no i mean I, I think that 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 sums it up really nicely so jens yeah, so i wanted to thank you again for for joining us and thank you so much for um for your time and for for answering all of our our very nerdy questions about the ins and outs of the uh, catering business um you know best of luck with uh continuing the the sort of recovery post 2019 um and again thank you thank you so much for your time Thank you so much, I, for for having me
2: and and Rohan. Um, uh, it was really a pleasure to um, to being with you. It was a very very
0: interesting conversation. Thank you very much. All right. Well, thank you everyone for joining us on this episode, season five, episode five of the Airways Podcast. Once again, my name is Rohan Anand, joined by the Ne Baskara and Jens Kulein of Gate Group, and our producer Helwing Via Please, once again, provide feedback. Leave us a rating on iTunes or Spotify. Substack, wherever you get your podcast also please feel free to solicit any questions or topics that you'd like us to cover uh once again we'd like to promote the fact that we have some cool guests that are continuing to come on to our podcast uh, jans was a very uh lovely addition that we had for this year for season five so we'll keep them coming